What is good to be with you? I'm Joel once again, and uh, excited to be able to unpack the Word of God with you today. Before I do that, I want to go ahead and show you a, a quick photo. Let's throw that picture up there if we can. This Tuesday morning, there's a small group of us um, going to the Philippines. We somewhat, right before COVID hit, inherited about 10 or 12 churches and, and even a seminary in the Philippines that we are helping with would be the church Philippines. And as a result of that, we've got this group um, that's going. We were supposed to go then. Really glad we didn't. We were supposed to leave two days before the shutdown. I didn't feel right about stuff. I said, we can't go. We would have been there for over three months. Um, so really grateful. My wife was really grateful we did not go on that trip. And I'm grateful to say that my wife was actually glad that I didn't make it on that trip. Um, but we are finally being able to go over there. You're going to see some other opportunities uh, in the very near future for you to be able to go to the Philippines um, as we're jumping into Philippines, Malaysia, those types of areas, but also to the Northeast United States. Um, so I've got some friends here, George and Janelle. Um, and so if you guys would stand up, a couple of their kids are with them. One's in the back, I guess. And so George is a pastor in Connecticut, Glastonbury. I have good friends in Glastonbury. So they're in Connecticut. I've pastored in Connecticut before. And they moved from California eight years ago, roughly seven, eight years ago. Um, and they took off and they said, God's called us to plant, church in, uh, plant, a, plant a church in Connecticut. So he's one of the churches there that be the church and this church is pouring into. Uh, for new people here, this church has somewhat said, you know what? The 50 churches in Connecticut that are like-minded and hearted that we know of, theologically speaking, we want to help to support and help embrace. So that's what we get to do. Um, and so this is one of the great, great, great family. I encourage you to say hello to them. You're going to have opportunities in the future to come and to visit. We'll all come at once. That'd be fun. Right? Uh, just bring a few thousand people. It'll be, let's go. Right? Get a charter bus. 500 of them. And so we would have um, an opportunity. You're going to have an opportunity to be able to do that. Not only around the world, because remember, we want 500 missionaries. That's you. 500 people to go on short-term missions in the next three years. So thank you for being here, guys. Um, yeah, so cool. Who's ready for the word? Anybody? I love the word. Man, it's the, if you just watch that video, it's humbling. If you were here early in the service, we had a pre-service video about what's happening in the Ukraine, um, but also to hear their stories. We have access to the word of God. I just walked out from back, right? I have a little desk back there, and I chose which Bible I'm about to use. That's called a blessing, right? That's a gift. We are so fortunate to come together with brothers and sisters to open up the word of God and say, Lord, have your way with our lives. Amen. Amen. So who's excited for the word of God? So let's jump into it. We're in a series right now, chapter uh, 6 and 7 of the book of Acts. Acts 6 and 7. We're in a series right now called Break the Mold. This summer, we're looking at different people who we have just said, wow, they broke the mold in terms of what it is to live for their faith, to live for Christ, to live for God, regardless of what the people, even other people of faith, said around them. And they were willing to do that because of what God had done in their life. Why? Because they were transformed followers of Jesus. And we know that's who we are, Romans chapter 12. And we get to live lives of transformation because of who Jesus Christ is. So today we're jumping in to look at the story in the life of Stephen. Um, the life of Stephen is a remarkable story of somebody who broke the mold. I do want to begin today by giving you a little bit of an understanding of, of what took place to get up to this point. 
you have this guy who came 2,000 years ago, right? His name is Jesus Christ. He's always been, but it was 2,000 years ago that God said, you're going now in human flesh. And he gave that through the birth of a virgin by the name of Mary. Through his death and resurrection, um, we know the value and the importance of that as believers. But then after his resurrection, he was here for roughly four, he was here for 40 days before his ascension into heaven. And just before those 40 days, that's when you fast forward to Acts chapter 1. Just before those, uh, that time was up before his ascension, he spoke about the gifts that he would even leave to us, the gift of the Holy Spirit, to come into our life. What that would mean for us and the value and the power of it. So here comes Holy Spirit. He's speaking in. We also know it is coming, coming into the church. It's something known as Pentecost. And so the blowing of the Holy Spirit comes in and does this mighty, mighty work. And the Holy Spirit is moving. And right away, thousands come to know Jesus Christ. And I believe whenever you have a movement, this is one of the things that we're going to see in the scriptures today. We struggle with the passage because there was a movement of God. And a lot of the religious people didn't even like the movement. They'd rather have a faith that was controlled. They'd rather make their own rules. Rather than living according to the Holy Spirit. But the thing is, with the movement of God, you can't control the movement of God. That's why I always tell people here in this church and just the ways that God is blessing and what, what is going on, I am just doing the very best I can to hold on because God is having his way. When God speaks and we know what he's saying, our answer is always what? Yes. And so we're just saying yes to whatever God is putting in front of us, and we're going, okay, God, how do we embrace your movement? Well, the people here didn't like that movement very well. The Holy Spirit was moving. The religious leaders, with the growth of the New Testament church, they're worried. They're freaking out a little bit. And when we fast forward, they, they, they saw, man, here's this church and this movement that's growing. How do we handle all of it? Right? On a totally different scale of sometimes we have some space issues. We're, we're, we've got some buildings coming. Um, we're not building a larger worship center. Sorry, we're just going to add one. Um, but we need uh, my office. I don't have an office really anymore. Like we need some office space. We need some of these things. That's easy compared to what they were looking at. They had thousands of people coming at a time going, we, we believe in Jesus Christ and it's making our lives, changing our lives completely. Well, as all this, grew, this growth is happening, what they find very quickly, if you look at Acts chapter 6 specifically, we'll do 6 and then we'll jump into 7. Um, there were two different, um, the, the early church consisted primarily of two different Jewish groups. All right? One of those are Hellenists, Greek-speaking Jews. Others spoke Aramaic. What well, we would also know is Jewish, but Aramaic. And so here they are. You had two primary groups. And the Hellenists are coming and going, hang on. The Jewish, I mean, um, the, the, the Hellenists here, they're being left out. The Greek-speaking Jews, like, you're not caring for these people as well as you are everybody else. We need some help. So that's why we go to Acts chapter 6. That's the precursor. That's what's been building up to this. Now there's this church and there's this movement and it's growing and they're trying their very best to accommodate. And it says, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, boom, 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 they're just coming, right? A complaint by the Hellenists, those Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews. The people are speaking Aramaic and here they are. And they're, they're, it says, like, hey, our widows are being neglected in the daily distribution. We're trying to help everybody. We're doing everything we can, but you're neglecting some of them. No bueno, right? They were like, hey, so the 12 summoned, uh, and the 12 summoned, they're like, hey, listen, we got to fix this. It's not right that we should give up preaching, though, so we got to help out in some other way. Like, we have a responsibility already, 
Our time is full, but we need to raise up others to come and do it. That's why we have what we have here. We have elders who are overseers, but we also have uh, deacons uh, and also even our small group leaders who are the people who really serve the people of the church because 10 people can't do everything. 20 people can't do everything. 100 people can't do anything. We have about four or 500 active uh, adults helping to make sure that we do what we need to do in this ministry. Can't do it alone. So you have to raise up others. Well, that's what they're saying. Hey, we can't give up what we're doing to serve the tables, but we need others to do it. So therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And so it says, we devote ourselves, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said, it pleads the whole gathering. They're like, hey, listen, I have a job. We're already doing everything we can. What we really need to do is raise up some others to do it. And everybody's like, yeah, thumbs up, let's go. All right? And then they, what they said pleased the entire gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Now, that's where we're going to, I need to let you know right away, um, Chapter 6 is only 15 verses, and verse 8, this is, this, uh, is going to be another picture of who he is. So verse 5, 8, and 15 paints a picture of who Stephen is. 5, 8, and 15. And it's going to let us know these things. It, it compares. They, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Don't know anything about Stephen prior to this, really. Um, but it gives three sentences here, 5, 8, and 15, to let us know who he is automatically every time I'm challenged by evaluating am I that type of person like if people describe you they go man full of faith and the Holy Spirit I don't want to die one day he was really nice he had good hair spiked up a little bit right I had nice kids I want to be known as a man who is full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what we want to be known for? It says that now Stephen, this is verse 8, the second section here. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. I want to be full of God's grace and power. I'll be known for that. Doing great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. One of the first, if not the first, known out of the apostles to step in and say, hey, all of a sudden, here's someone else so full of faith, so full of God's power, so full of God's grace, that now he's performing miraculous signs and deeds. It's amazing to think about. Another one, verse 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now let me go ahead and put this little nugget in your mind. You're going to see Moses referred to a good bit. Here in Acts chapter 6 and 7, I think this is interesting because now his face, this is, you're going to see what's happening precursor to this in a moment, but now his face is like that of an angel. The only other person I can think of in Scripture, and I was racking my brain for this yesterday, is Exodus 33, 34. Moses, coming down off the mount. And yet that's who he's actually going to be compared to. And so here is this amazing man of God. They call him out of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. Um, Stephen is somebody also, um, again, while we don't know a lot about him prior to this, um, he always spoke the truth. In fact, let, let me even do this. Let me break down chapter 6 for you as simply as I can. Chapter 6, 1 through 8, this is what we learn about Stephen. All right, Stephen was chosen because he was good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. This is 6, 1 through 8. I'm just going to, four different boom, boom, boom. 
So you can see this. Stephen was chosen because he was of good reputation for the Spirit. We learn a lot about who he is. The people had a need, and so they recognized people who were full of faith around them, and they called those people to meet those needs. 9 through 13, chapter 6, what we find is this. When living for Jesus, Stephen experienced rejection and hostility. He experienced rejection and hostility when living for Jesus. I'll get to the next section in a little bit because here, check this out. It says in verse 7, they called these guys together. They called them up. They're like, hey, you guys need to help out. They start helping out. The word of God continued to increase. All right? They continued to increase. It says the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. This is already after the initial thousands of people a day coming. Now it's increasing more and more and more, multiplying on them. It doesn't, I love that it doesn't say adding, it says multiplying. Significantly more. And it just keeps going and going and going. And many of the priests became obedient to the faith. But Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, right, they didn't like this. They were called uh, Cyrenians and Alexandrians. And those from um, um, Cilicia and Asia rose up, disputed with Stephen. And here's what happened. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Now, he's doing great wonders. He's simply acting out and living a life obedient to God. He hasn't done much of anything yet. And right away, the religious leaders, and just remember the Sanhedrin. I'll come back to that too. They don't like what he's doing. Why? He's, he's performing miraculous signs, and he's healing people, and he's living a life full of faith and grace. Why would people not like that? It tells us, and this is what's happening in today's world. Okay, I'm about to give you a picture of what's happening in today's world. Because here's the way that Stephen is living is standing actually in opposition to what they already believed, even as people of faith. All right? You got to hear that. It says they could not withstand, verse 10 and 11, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Because God was speaking from, from him. There's no way they had a chance. And so they did what our society does today. So they secretly instigated men who said, hey, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And so they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council, and they set up false witnesses about him. So they lied. Hey, we don't like the, we don't like the truth. We don't like what this man is saying because it actually runs contradictory to how we're already living and to what we really want in life. So we're going to come up with a different narrative to paint our own picture. Has this, has any, does this ring true to anything that's ever happened in our world? Anybody understand this, resonate with this, yes? I don't care what side you stand on, it's happening both ways. Doesn't ha it doesn't matter, it's happening in both directions. Why? Because when we're confronted with truth, we're forced to process how we're going to then respond to that truth. And the majority of people, when it's pushing against the life that we're already living, we don't like that, and so then we reject it. So then, how can we support that if we just reject it without looking like a buffoon? We have to make up other stories to support the way we want to live. It's not complicated. 
So right away, we see a guy who immediately, when he's full of grace and truth, he is presented and experiencing rejection and hostility. They set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against his holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. There's the kicker right there, verse 14. And he will change the customs presented to us. They were so accustomed to living by their customs. That's where they find comfort. That's where they found power. That's where they found like, okay, we're doing all right, rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to live within them. There are so many people in the church today, you will follow a set of rules, but you will never allow Holy Spirit to have your heart. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that of an angel. So what we find also, just go ahead and go further with this. Um, in verse 6, I told you I'd give you more. So 9 through 13, he experienced rejection and hostility. But 14 through 15, when persecuted, Stephen spoke of Jesus, the truth, and carried the presence of Christ. He always carried the presence of Christ. Even when persecuted, even in hardship, even in difficulty, he carried the presence of Christ. And his face shone like that of an angel. Verse 15 of chapter 6. He always carried the presence of Christ. So no matter what you're going through in life, one of the great things we get to do is we get to carry the, the presence of Christ no matter what. Posture. We speak often about heart posture and who we should be. Now, quick rundown. Here's Stephen. Don't know much about him. Now he's helping to serve, but he's living this powerful life through Jesus. The people hate that. Um, who are the religious leaders, and they're like, they can't have anything of it. And so they bring him, they set up false witnesses, they stirred up the people to come and to lie about him and to do all these things, but yet he still carried the presence of Jesus Christ. It's a pretty good chapter. Well, they bring him before the council, the Sanhedrin. The high priest, it says in chapter 7, the high priest comes into play here. Now, Stephen, this is important because... Um, Stephen is going to be brought in, and he's going to give the Sanhedrin, which in Jerusalem would have been roughly 70 to 72 individuals who are the religious elite of sorts, and he's going to come and give them a biblical history lesson. I'm not going to walk through the entirety of it. It's 53 verses, in essence, of here's a, here's a speech that he gives to all of them, and he walks through all of the forefathers and all that. He's going to start with Abraham, and he's going to walk through all these people. And he's going to say, over and over, you keep no matter what, even though now you claim Moses in the time you rejected what he was trying to do, you complain what he, about what he was doing, you keep rejecting the people of God. God sends people to you, and you reject them because they make you uncomfortable because they're going to force you to have to evaluate the life that you're currently living, and then you have to decide whether you're going to live according to your desire or God's will. This is why Jesus ticked off so many people. And so here he is, he's going to recite this biblical history. He's going to use all the major, major pillars of Jewish faith and refer to the temple to chronicle Israel's constant disobedience. That's what he's going to do. And he's accused of speaking negatively against the law, against the temple, about all these customs. But he's not doing that. That's not true. He's saying, you guys keep rejecting it. Now, 
the reason I told you you need to tuck this away about the Sanhedrin is this. Rome ruled the day. Go, if you don't know the end of the story, I'll go ahead and ruin it for you. It's like the Titanic, okay? The boat sinks. I remember standing in line once, like, did you know the boat sinks? I'm like, oh, my goodness. History. We've got to teach some of this. Um, here's the end of the story. They're, they're going to end up stoning Stephen. How could they do that if Rome ruled the day? Well, it's, it's very simple. If you, if you look at this passage here, if it was, if it, they started speaking words like blasphemy, which means Stephen was speaking and blaspheming against God in the temple. And if it's something that was done within the temple, they could actually act upon it. But if it was something outside of that, they could not. That's important. You following me? Say yes, make me feel good. Thank you. You need to know this stuff. It matters. We were like, why is this? So the, because he's blasphemy, they start using that language, and it's against that within the temple. They're able to do something about it. Otherwise, they wouldn't, wouldn't be able to. So here's Stephen's argument. They bring him in. Again, new, he's new to this whole scene. He's come to know Jesus Christ, and he's all about Jesus Christ. And Stephen starts to argue his case that God has never confined himself to one place like the temple. So why are you confining God to one place and to just simply a, a list of routines, a routine to be lived rather than a life to be had? Why? And so he's going to speak about various biblical characters, and then he very forcefully states his conclusion, de delivering this history lesson for the people. Now, I want to go very quickly, and I'm just going to point out the main people that he uses here. All right? I'm not going to read through it all. Otherwise, I'm already done with the sermon. Um, what we've got to do is, so brother, he starts very quickly. Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father, Abraham. This is where he starts. Abraham. I mentioned it earlier. First eight verses, God blessed Abraham, and he's letting them know God blessed Abraham apart from the Torah, apart from the temple. He's doing that, right? He still continues to do this. And so why do you keep making about these things? And he speaks about it, and he's like, listen, um, verse 8, and he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham, that's, I'm, I'm, he's like, gave them the covenant of circumcision. That's very important for the Jewish people. Tuck that away too, all right? Gave you the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob. And Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs, which includes Joseph. And we know that even Joseph, and he's going to tie into that as well. Joseph is the next one, 9, nine through 16. That because of jealousy, hello people, because of jealousy, they sold Joseph into slavery. His brothers did. Why are you so jealous? So they sold Joseph into slavery, but yet we know Joseph ends up second in charge of all of Egypt. So God still worked his thing. God's still going to do God, amen? But why are you so hostile toward the people of God who are coming and speaking truth? You're hostile toward them over and over because they're speaking truth to you that opposes your preference and the way that you currently choose to live rather than surrendering your heart to an almighty God to live out his will and his desire. We're no different today. We're no different. So he calls us out about Joseph. He said, hey, listen, even his brothers, fellow Jews, they rejected him. 
nonetheless, Jesus or God still provided for his salvation. And then he jumps in, 20 and following, he jumps into the life of Moses. So he goes from Abraham, then he goes to Joseph, and then he goes into Moses. And he spends some considerable time here with Moses. If you go down to verse 20 and following, this is after um, everything that had happened with Joseph and all that was taking place. Verse 20, and at this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him. And he goes through this story, and he goes, he's 40 years old. This is what took place. And all the while, and you can go back and read all this. I don't have time to unpack every story. Um, there's no way I can put Abraham and Joseph and Moses in one sermon. But it's amazing. He's just calling this out. He's like, Moses, he tried to deliver the people, and they, they begin by refusing. Why do you keep rejecting the people that God sends and speaks? they speak to you, and you end up in time rejecting them because they make you live a life that's not necessarily comfortable, that's not necessarily known, but it is a life that is greater because it's a life with God. Thirty through thirty-six, Moses second kind of here's this wave that comes, and God commissioned Moses. God appeared to Moses on holy ground, not a temple, right? And Moses was working and delivered the people, but the people rejected Moses. Thirty-seven through forty-three, here the people are again rejecting Moses, rejecting Moses. They ignored the great prophet, and idolatry ruled the day. It goes back to Exodus again, where they even, right, Moses goes up on the mountain, and what do they do? Like, well, we're missing some God we can worship. We've got to do something, so let's get all of our jewelry, and let's make a golden calf. This is what we do today. If we don't actually, what we're doing today is if we don't like our God, we're trying to construct our own God. I don't like him. I don't like my God because the real God tells me that I have to live like this and tells me that there are greater things than doing this and this and this that I recognize. And yes, my heart doesn't always align up with it, but we have to choose to do the godly until our heart catches up. And in choosing to do the godly until our heart catches up, that means we have to recognize that often, if not always, our preferences run contradictory to the God of the universe. He's like, listen, he just walks through. He gives them this speech, and he just keeps going on and on and on and on. He's like, listen, 44 through 50, you've placed the temple above that of actually God. Yes, God ordained the tabernacle. He approved the temple. It's not about that. But the temple comes with a disclaimer. Because God's not confined to a temple. God's not confined to a place. God lives within us, Holy Spirit. I think that's the real issue here is the religious leaders didn't understand the coming of the Holy Spirit. Remember, that's just happened. And they didn't like it because that means if they surrendered their life to God in that way. Friends, if you give your life more fully to Jesus, your life will be required to change. Right away, some of you probably just had a visceral response to that. Because we want comfort, we want safety, far more than we want anything else. We must 
not restrict God's movement from any part of our life. And you see, the religious leaders, that's what they had done. They're like, no, this is how we do things. And then Stephen comes in and they start seeing this man full of faith and grace and wisdom and power and wonders and miraculous signs. And they're like, hold up. We don't roll like that. And so he calls them out hard. Verse 51 through 53. This is what it says. He calls all this out and he's like, hey, listen, here's a reality. This is what really ruffles their feathers. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. Now remember, I told you circumcision. I read it out while I go. I said, tuck it away. Circumcision is so important. So now he's saying, it's like you're uncircumcised. You haven't given your heart to God. Like that, that's significant. Right? That's like saying, a, that's like telling a southern boy from Georgia, are you a mama joke? Those are fighting words. Right? And so he's looking at the religious people, you stiff-necked people. I just showed you, you, I just gave you a biblical history lesson. You've been doing this over and over and over again. How long are you going to reject the power of the word of God from truly living in your life? Just so that you can control it better? just so that you can get what you want on a temporary basis rather than living for God for eternity? How long are you going to be stiff-necked? How long will you have uncircumcised hearts and ears? You don't have ears to hear. The question we have to ask today is, do we have ears to hear the Word of God, and do we have the courage to respond? This is why I say this is the problem. He called it out. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Anything that you can't control, anything that you can't define, anything that you can't specifically measure to make sure that you're winning, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Embrace the coming of the Holy Spirit into your life. That's called a movement of God. That's when you will see families change and legacies change and generations change and cultures change and nations change. Yes, I believe that God can restore and renew and redeem anyone from anything at any time. But it's got to start with us. You who have received the law that was put into effect by angels but have not obeyed it. What we learn about Stephen here is that when standing for Jesus, he lost his life, but he gained eternity. And the response of the people, they were furious. You can imagine. There's a difference between um, something we always speak about. 
is there's a difference between um, being embarrassed and being broken. One of the things I enjoy asking people when I interview them is I want to know if you've been embarrassed or broken and which one and why. People who are embarrassed get caught for something. Their response is typically anger. Someone who's been broken, that means God has got a hold of their heart. And it's usually followed by tears and a vulnerability and humility to be changed by the God of the universe. These guys were embarrassed. They were angry. Oh, they were ticked. It tells us so clearly in this passage. Because here he is. He's like, man, you don't have a circumcised heart. You kill the Messiah. You neglect the law, calling a Jew uncircumcised. Like, what are you doing? And all this. And the response of people, they were furious and they were angry. They were embarrassed and they closed their ears. They would not listen. But in this passage... It says, they heard these things and they, verse 54, if you want to jot that down. You heard these things. When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, another description of him, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The only time that we see that in Scripture. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud loud voice and they stopped their ears from hearing and they rushed together at him. It's like a little kid, right? You've ever, you keep, they keep talking to them. I can't hear you, I can't hear you. Na-na-na-boo-boo. Too many of us have stopped our ears from hearing the voice of God. Because we don't like what it would mean for us to change. But what we don't understand is that God has something greater for us. And so here he is. He's looking up to heaven and he sees the heavens opened. And the the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And even at that, they can't stand it even more. And so they take out, they take them out. They come, they stop up their ears. They rush together. They cast them out of the city. And they stoned them. They stoned them. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now that's another whole story. Because that very Saul is going to become Paul two chapters later when he's on the road to Damascus. And a light blinds him and he encounters Jesus Christ. And nobody in history has ever proclaimed Jesus as boldly as Paul. So now that's a powerful story. Why? Because one of the most significant things about it is the very person who they used to give approval to the death of Stephen was then captivated in his heart by the person of Jesus and he changed his life. You can too. I don't care what you're going through. You want a theme of this entire story? You want power of this entire story? Is that at the end of the day, faithfulness always won in the life of Stephen. Persecution was always secondary to faithfulness. Hardship was secondary to faithfulness. Difficulty was secondary to faithfulness. Money was secondary to faithfulness. Comfort was secondary to faithfulness. Preference 
was secondary to faithfulness. You're like, preference? Yeah. You think you woke up that day and said, you know what? I'm going to let them just know the word and the truth, and this one's going to be a good day of stoning. No. Faithfulness always won the day because Stephen had come to know the power of Jesus Christ. Convenience was secondary to faithfulness. Will you allow faithfulness to win the day? What area of your life do you need to step into to demonstrate faithfulness to the Word of God no matter what? So, Lord, I come before you, I give you thanks, and I worship you, and I praise you. You are our King. We surrender all that we have to you.